There's a new virus in the database. We have a zero bug attacking all login and all the way files. Run antivirus. Give me a systems display. Good day, everyone, and thanks for joining us on this episode of The Rising Cyber. We have with us Professor Robin Doss, Director at the Center for Cyber Resilience and Trust at Deakin University. In addition, Dr. Doss leads Deakin University's participation in the Cybersecurity Cooperative Research Center and the themed leader for the research on development of next-generation authentication technologies. With a long list of articles and research papers, most recent papers were regarding analysis of misbehavior detection for intelligent transport systems and weak key analysis for post-quantum key encapsulations, just to name few here. Dr. Doss, welcome. It is a pleasure to be here talking with you today and thanks for your time. Thanks so much, Shadi. Real pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Um, You received your doctorate in philosophy from the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in 2004. Uh, Can you please tell us a little bit about your career and what led you into the path of research and higher education? Uh, Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Chadi. So, uh, yeah, I I came to Australia as an international student to pursue my master's after completing an undergrad degree in engineering uh, back in India. Uh, And through the course of my master's, I uh, had the privilege of interacting with uh, several professors who had research uh, projects going on and uh, was like, you know, uh, exposed to uh, what research was about. And as I was nearing the end of my master's, I was offered a PhD scholarship, which uh, was a bit of a surprise, but I also thought it would be a great experience to sort of go down the research and innovation path. And that's where it sort of started. And um, haven't, uh, I guess, uh, looked back since, <laughs> for want of a, yeah. <laughs> a better phrase, uh, but it's uh, been an interesting journey, sort of um, working in research and innovation, both in a university sector, but also I've had the opportunity to work in places like IBM Research, which have a more of a, um, perhaps an industry uh, focus or an applied focus uh, to research. Uh, so sort of having the opportunity to work more at the discovery side of research, but also the applied side of research and of, um, has been quite uh, interesting and uh, a great career path. Yeah, I've, I've been looking into your paper and researchers with the IEEE and NIST, mm-hmm. and it's such an amazing body of work you've produced. And we'll talk yeah. uh, about a little bit about them shortly. We can't discuss all of them because there's a lot of work uh, you've produced. Can you tell us a little bit about that center and what work they do? Uh, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so uh, the Center for Cyber Resilience and Trust um, um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a new uh, center at Deakin University that was established in 2023, building on um, the strong strong foundations and successes of a previous cybersecurity focus center, which was CSRI, or the Center for Cybersecurity Research uh, and innovation. Uh, and essentially, um, Crest is uh, a revisioning of the university's um, uh, research focus uh, in this space uh, with the intended aim of, um, of uh, delivering research impact that can translate to building uh, safe and secure uh, communities, which is a stated uh, aim uh, as part of Deakin University's research uh, agenda. 
Um, so, so we were very intentional uh, when Crest was uh, uh, envisioned and established in terms of the research platform to really develop a holistic, uh, what we've termed as a 360 degree view of cyber, uh, which brings yeah. together uh, uh, technology, um, the social aspects of cyber, human behavior, um, and also uh, the organizational and legal aspects of cyber as well. So, so in terms of the um, remit of the center, we work uh, work towards uh, having impact in five areas, uh, which are advancing cybersecurity technologies, so creating new technologies, uh, next generation technologies, whether it's in authentication, as you sort of referred to in your uh, introduction or in other areas as well. The second area of impact we want to have is around securing data and infrastructure. Uh, critical infrastructure security is a huge focus for us as a nation. Securing data, the impact of quantum computing, post-quantum uh, security, as you mentioned in your introduction as well. Um, the third area of focus is around disrupting cyber harms. And we're going to talk about uh, the cybersecurity strategy uh, that's just been yeah. released as well. And therefore, you know, understanding threat actors from a social context, disrupting their networks. Uh, how do you actually carry out um, policing activity against criminal groups. So sort of looking at it from a social science and criminology angle and uh, uh, is, is, is the third area of focus uh, for us. Uh, the fourth area of focus is around um, uh, promoting cyber safe behavior. So this is about how do you elevate cybersecurity, maturity, awareness, education, um, and, and just that, I guess, um, uh, behavior change that we want to bring in the broader community around taking responsibility for your cyber safety uh, yeah. with the correct supports and scaffolding uh, structures in place as well as the fourth area of impact. And the fifth area is very much around um, the law and policy component of cyber, what we term as uh, harmonizing cyber governance, uh, bringing together disconnected and disparate regulatory frameworks, uh, which might be over burdensome on organizations and individuals and businesses to make it um, holistic, harmonized and effective, uh, yeah. delivering impact from a legal perspective and regulatory perspective as well. So those are the five areas of impact. Obviously, uh, we work closely with industry, government and business. Um, um, we have about 70 PhD students that are working on cutting edge projects oh. as part of the center as well. And uh, we have uh, people like yourself uh, who uh, support support us with your uh, uh, expert uh, knowledge and uh, perspectives uh, as well. So um, uh, we are positioned to be multidisciplinary whole of university, which is quite a unique uh, positioning for a cybersecurity research uh, center. Uh, but we think that's what differentiates us and brings value to um, the communities that we serve. Brilliant, brilliant. What's the priority for 2024 with all the challenges in the landscape is mm -hmm. there any like focus things that you want to do with the center uh, i i i think definitely one of the things uh, we want to play a constructive role in uh, is helping to advance uh, the cybersecurity strategy for the country so so you know at the end of the day as a i guess um, a, a research and innovation center we want to have uh, deliver value uh, for our community, both locally uh, and uh, internationally uh, as well. So in terms of looking at how through our research capability we can contribute constructively uh, to advance the cybersecurity strategy would definitely be a key area of focus for us. And, and in terms of the capabilities that we bring to the table, given that breadth of expertise from the technology side through to the 
social science or human human aspects to the, the regulatory aspects which um uh get a lot of mention in the cybersecurity strategy uh, i think uh, those would be the three areas that that we would want to definitely uh, advance ourselves in terms of uh, uh, help advance the cybersecurity as uh, strategy obviously specific areas of focus uh, for us exist as a center as well uh, two main areas uh, would be around um uh, the role of ai in cybersecurity or machine learning in cybersecurity as well as the impact of quantum computing uh, as well and our perspectives when it comes to ai and machine learning is uh, essentially um uh, we like to think of it as ai for cybersecurity or machine learning for cybersecurity and then the flip side of that which is about security yeah. of ai and machine learning as well so yeah. how do you build trust explainability into those systems and yeah. um uh, rather than sort of thinking of them as say black box models uh, that that we just adopt in and and trust so uh, that's a one of the areas and then you know post quantum security is an area that uh, we have been focusing on over the last maybe 18 to 24 months now and that would be i guess an ongoing area of focus which is from the technology side but then i think there's a huge uh, focus that needs to be there on the human behavior side of things as well yeah. and one aspect would be around how do we actually just elevate that cybersecurity awareness in the broader community um, yeah. and build that resilience in the community in terms of how they can um um a thrive if you like in a digital economy uh, right yeah definitely from the policy side of things as well we have initiatives in that space yeah yeah you mentioned both things like ai and uh, quantum computing mm. that were mentioned in the strategy we'll yes. get back to them later because i want to ask you about uh, these two subjects there as well last week was deakin university cyber conference um Can you tell us a little bit about what happened in the conference some highlights of what went yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, it was um a a, a full two days. Um yeah. lots of uh, really good discussion. Um so I guess if I just go back to why we uh, established and uh, ran the event uh, which yeah. is now it's in its uh, third year. Uh essentially it was to provide a a platform uh, that brings together uh business government and research uh, to have a conversation around um some of the challenges that that we are facing uh, together uh, as uh, in uh, as as a nation uh, pretty much uh, so to talk about um i guess uh, the impact that cybersecurity incidents have uh, not just in an abstract way on the economy for instance but on individuals Uh, on businesses small to medium enterprises our friends our families and our communities yeah. uh, if you if you like so we had um, a really good discussion on uh, topics such as uh, online safety digital uh, safety for instance um uh, the policy opportunity that exists uh, for australia from a cyber perspective both uh, in the national context but uh, perhaps even more broadly from a diplomatic uh, context in the region and more globally Uh, as well the whole space around cyber uh, diplomacy uh, and then obviously the opportunities that we have as a nation in terms of uh, new technologies that can be created and that can sort of um, help protect the nation but also provide uh, opposition australia as a leader when it comes to cybersecurity innovation uh, and research and translation of those of those research into um services and products and Uh, so on so we were really privileged uh, to have 
um, uh, industry leaders uh, speaking. Of course, it was a huge honor for us to have uh, Brendan Dowling, uh, the uh, ambassador for cyber affairs and critical technology, uh, spend a day uh, with us as well. Uh, which was uh, in, coincidentally the day before the release of the cybersecurity strategy. So we did uh, have, uh, I guess, the privilege of having a, a little bit of a sneak preview into what was uh, coming, which was uh, really, really uh, great. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it was uh, just an opportunity for uh, open discussion, dialogue, um, and um, even hear from Mike Lowy, who was uh, a startup founder about uh, uh, challenges of getting a startup uh, from the ground up, yeah, uh, and uh, it was a, uh, and um, um, also we recognize that um, uh, it's not just about science and technology. It's also about how do we build um, people in this industry as individuals. So one of the tracks we had was around professional development as well. So we had yeah. a couple of workshops. Uh, one was around overcoming imposter syndrome, uh, which a lot <laughs> of us uh, suffer from and about strategies that we can adopt. And uh, the second one was about uh, government relations uh, boot camps, sort of talking about how engagement with government is important and what might be some effective ways of doing that as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to provide an overview of the conference. Yeah. Is there any recording like uh, we can watch? Um, We ran it as a completely face-to-face event this year, so we didn't actually have any provision for recordings, but maybe maybe for next year. Yes. Yeah, because there are such. Uh, we've been asked yeah. this question more than once now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, since you mentioned with the um, the Australian cybersecurity strategy and the twenty thirty vision, um, what do you think about it? Was it uh, is it just enough, or is it uh, were there enough consultation with the industry? What's your views on on that? Well, I think um, the effort to consult, I think, uh, from the government was definitely there. Um, I think, um, um, you know, um, the government held uh, consultations with, I I think the figures were something like uh, 700 stakeholders. Um, But what was quite surprising for me was um, the number of uh, submissions uh, in, in response to the discussion paper uh, that was put out by the government. I think there was about 330 submissions, which seems on the lower side when you think of the scale of the problem that we're dealing with and the importance of the problem uh, and the challenges that we face uh, as a nation. So so I guess when it comes to consultation, you can always say there can be more consultation, but but I don't think... um, uh, that the the government can be faulted in terms of their uh, intention to to consult. Um, So, um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, when it comes to a strategy, obviously the um, action plan that accompanies it is an important first step. But then how that's, um, I guess, implemented, how that's evaluated, all of which are referred to in the strategy, how that's evaluated and how... Uh, it stays as a live document, I suppose, yes. and a, 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 a moving target. Always in, in you know, in terms of cyber um, operations, we talk about cyber deception strategies that include moving target as a defense. So I guess you know, when it comes to implementing strategy and putting in place strategy as well, it's always a, a, a moving piece, right? So how do yeah. we stay ahead of the curve when it comes to the threat landscape, and how do we um, uh, stay informed? Um, in a continual basis uh, to respond uh, dynamically and effectively, I, th- I think would be 
challenges yeah, definitely. moving forward. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I think there was some negative criticism on on that, and I don't think it was fair mm. um, to to put that. And one of the best strategies I know we've done few strategies in the past yeah. uh, three years in Australia, but this one is very practical, pragmatic, and scientific mm. yeah. with the shields that they have. And the horizon, as they said, to make it living document of mm. uh, measuring each horizon from a couple of years, what we need to do and what should be set. Uh, I think this is brilliant. And that brings me to, I will quote from the exact strategy on Shield 2, which is safe technology mm. uh, regarding emerging technology safety. Mm. And following Australia's commitment to the Blatchley Declaration at the AI Safety Summit, in November 2023, Australia will continue to work with other government, uh, civil society, tech sector to ensure that AI is designed, deployed, developed, and used in a manner that is safe, secure, trustworthy, and responsible. Mm. Uh, this is brilliant to have in the strategy concerning AI and mm. addressing these uh, things. What do you think Like, we need to do as a nation to evolve with the artificial intelligence because it's something happening and we need to be looking from now how to adapt and develop safe AI measures. Absolutely. Um, so I think um, definitely, I think um, with all emerging technologies and AI is, uh, seems like, you know, uh, the one that gets um, uh, most of the news uh, cycles uh, these days. Yeah. I think with something like with, with technology in general, obviously, um, uh, it's very hard to control the pace at which technology evolves um, and also have a clear view of how technology can be applied. So there is use of technology uh, and with any emerging technology, it's accompanied by abuse as well. And AI is a classic example of this. There are others as yeah. well, right? So I think one of the things that we need to do uh, as a nation and perhaps uh, sooner rather than later, uh, is come up with, I guess, uh, ethical frameworks uh, that are um, that have industry buy-in and community buy-in in terms of how uh, AI specifically uh, can be adopted, used, um, leveraged uh, for uh, good rather than uh, bad. Um, yeah. um, and, and also, I guess... Um, um, when it comes to buy-in, like codes of practice and things like that uh, might uh, help as well. But I guess when it comes to, I guess, professional bodies as well, uh, I think as individuals, uh, all of us go through a different code of ethics that we sign up to as engineers or computer science professionals or cybersecurity professionals as, as, as well. And I think those yeah. individual uh, codes of uh, conduct need to address use of emerging technologies as well, that, that as individuals... And as professionals in this space uh, that, that that we sign up to as well. And it's one thing to sign up to, but then I guess organizations um, staying true to those codes of practice when perhaps there is um, uh, economic gain uh, or yeah. advantage yeah. to be gained by pushing the boundaries of yeah. the use of these technologies. I think, you know, uh, those things, uh, putting the greater good, I think is uh, important as well. Obviously, totally. there's economic benefit and you know, uh, not necessarily ec purely economic benefit, but even from a cybersecurity perspective, the scale of the problem that, that, that we are dealing with needs the power of 
machine learning and AI for us to be effective uh, defenders as well. So, yeah. Definitely. And there's another point as well regarding the uh, post-quantum encryption mm. era as well uh, that is mentioned in the same section. And this is lead me to the question as one of the main theme in your research and development for next generation authentication technology, how do you think authentication and encryption would be post-quantum era? Like what preparation should organizations start doing from now, maybe, or it's still a bit, little bit early or they need to start prepping from now and changing what they need to be doing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very uh, interesting question, uh, Charlie, because depending on who you speak to, uh, some people have the view that quantum is not going to be a reality, reality for the next you know, 20 years, so we don't really need to worry about it. Others are like, oh, you need to have a, a transition to quantum uh, plan. Uh, but obviously, from a research and innovation perspective, we are always looking at a horizon when it comes to the research and innovation activities that we're doing. So obviously, um, through NIST, but that you know still continues to be uh, perhaps the uh, set, if you like, the gold standard when it comes to information security and technologies in general in the U.S. Obviously, they've gone through a process of uh, identifying post-quantum um, um, uh, encryption schemes that's sort of gone through a competitive process of evaluation. So, so it's a it's a problem that we will need to deal with, uh, yeah. and all organizations would need to deal with. But I guess when it comes to the broader community that is facing this problem, whether that's the information security community broadly, or more specifically the cryptographic community, then looking at how we can address that problem from now. Uh, is going to be uh, important. But I guess even now uh, we are looking at companies sort of asking the question around what it means to be quantum safe. Yeah. Um, and one of the key areas when it uh, comes to uh, post-quantum security is obviously um, the problem of data harvesting. So we use classical encryption technologies um, that give us a level of security and comfort now, which obviously quantum technologies would uh, reduced drastically. So the question organizations need to ask, I, I guess, uh, is um, if data that I'm storing now is is being harvested by adversaries, what protection does it give uh, me? Yeah. And and in the in and 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 in the um, I guess the climate of uh, data breaches being so common, I guess that's a a, 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 a real challenge that that, that we face. Um, so yeah, it's a fair question. Yeah. So is it here and now? It it's not. Uh, but it's in, in, I guess, my personal view is um, there's, there's a tendency for technology to sort of surprise us, right? So I think we, it will be here before, it will surprise us when it comes. And uh, yeah. at the point in time, it's better that we are prepared than we are not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like I, from my understanding, NIST has already may, maybe adapting like Crystal and uh, uh, Delibrium, mm. uh, Kaiba, Kaiba yeah. and Delibrium. Yeah, um, so with the CRIST, uh, I guess, uh, standardization process, there have been like, the, um, I guess, the, the winners of the, uh, of yeah. the process and there's sort of uh, the competition. And then there's been the sort of, um, uh, I guess, uh, not necessarily secondary schemes, but um, potential schemes as well. In case yeah. the initial schemes have some weakness yeah. that found out in the future, we have some backups, you know. Yeah. yeah, I noticed one of your papers research, yeah. like the bike, uh, the bit flipping key mm. encapsulation. 
Yes. Um, so, yeah, specific to that work, one of the things, uh, the main contributions of, of that work is uh, identifying or developing an algorithm that can identify weak, weak keys that are used yeah. in uh, post-quantum uh, systems. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so it's one thing to have a post-quantum system, but if your choice of keys are weak, uh, then obviously... Yeah. That doesn't give you the best, highest level of uh, expected security. So that's the main contribution. Yeah, and I've seen as well the Shaw and Grover mm-hmm. combined together. These two algorithms with quantum computing will break any encryption that we have today. No. So no. Uh, it is uh, like a serious challenge, I think, within the next seven years yeah. uh, we'll, we'll be facing. <laughs> it will surprise us. Yeah. Just like you know, Chat GPT suddenly popped. Yeah, but by surprise, <laughs> like we we didn't know about it. <laughs> um, how do you see like the vision of maybe the next five years that you give like uh, any uh, size or any someone in 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 leadership in cybersecurity would have to start look into for the next five years maybe. Um, I think uh, probably um, two two broad areas, if you like, uh, Chadi. Um, so yeah. one I feel would be around identity. I think identity is going to be uh, huge. And as we sort of move uh, more into the digital ID space, uh, then obviously the uh, opportunities that that presents, as well as some of the risks that that presents as well. I think would be um, um, an area that that requires careful consideration. And also, I believe as we move rapidly into that digital ID space, things like access and inclusivity and uh, how that affects uh, perhaps, you know, people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds or educational backgrounds and all of those aspects, I think uh, would be a huge area. But I think it also presents a huge opportunity uh, from a, a, a privacy perspective and also giving um, citizens and um, individuals more uh, ownership over their own personal information as well. So, you know, we, right. you know, um, uh, movements like self-sovereign identity, verifiable credentials, all of these aspects, you know, we have projects in verifiable credentials going on at the moment as well in the center uh, is, is really about, uh, you know, uh, moving into that digital identity space uh, yeah. um, um, removing the burden from organizations and businesses to store huge amounts of personal information uh, and giving users more control over their personal data, which in a sense breaks, if you like, um, the, the, the um, honeypot that uh, yeah. adversaries are after from a personal information that, that's basically what a data, you know, from a data breach yeah. perspective, right? So yeah. I think that that would definitely be a huge area of focus. Uh, the second space uh, probably and sort of linked to identity in a way is around zero trust uh, architectures and sort of moving as a business into that zero trust space. I know, you know, anybody you talk to these days uses zero trust uh, yeah. um, uh, or, or, you know, talks about uh, zero trust. But I think having a clear understanding of what zero trust is and how you actually uh, implement it in its uh, fullest sense uh, within uh, um, an organization or business uh, perspective, uh, I think uh, would be uh, important. So say staying true to the tenets of zero trust in terms of obviously it's a journey. It's not something yeah. that you sort of buy an off-the-shelf product, but it's yeah. something yeah. that you yeah. sort of try and implement within your organization. 
Um, I think uh, across, I guess, the dimensions of technology, the human aspects and the governance aspects as, as, as well, I think would be uh, very important. Uh, and I know I said two things, but perhaps a third thing that <laughs> I want to throw into the, into the mix uh, there uh, is, um, I, I, I guess, um, looking at the challenge that we face uh, in cybersecurity as not just uh, an isolated problem that affects me as an individual or my organization, right? It's something that affects everybody. So in terms of how we can bring the community together, how we can actually play a constructive role together uh, with government, business, academia, research, all of the pieces coming together uh, and how each of us can make a constructive contribution to that conversation, whether it's around threat intelligence or uh, educational and awareness programs that are effective or not effective. Um, and, and I think how that that affects everybody from young people to the senior citizens uh, in our country, uh, I think yeah. would be probably the three that I would uh, mention. Yes. With the, the strategy, they mentioned uh, like 11 sections of critical infrastructures mm, mm. and Two of these uh, mm. sectors are education, higher education and research and transport. Mm. What do these sectors need to do uh, to be more protected or included within that strategy? Is there any extra work that we're already working on or it's still in the pipelines? Um, I think uh, the short answer would be, Chadi, there is always more to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, so when we talk about, uh, you know, education and research and, you know, obviously universities are a huge part of the research and innovation activities that occur um, in, in, in the country. Um, and uh, because of, I, I suppose, um, the huge volume of personal information that we store. So, for instance, at DK University, this is an excess of 60,000 students and uh, you know, the huge amount of personal information that that, that we store, uh, the amount of um, new IP that's created from the research and innovation activities make, makes us a, a huge, um, a, makes us a very attractive target, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and therefore, I think it's extremely important for us, both from a responsibility to our students and staff, as well as in terms of just the commercial interests that come from the research and innovation and the intellectual property that it's created, that, that we think carefully about what it means to be uh, cyber safe uh, and cyber secure uh, as well. And, yeah. you know, um, you know, we talked about things like zero trust. I know that's a journey that uh, we are on as well as an yeah. organization in terms of improving our cyber security posture. Uh, but yeah. uh, universities are sort of, in a sense, uh, microcosms of the broader community as well. Uh, we have uh, students from different ends of the socioeconomic spectrum and sort of going back to my question, uh, previous comments around inclusivity and affordability mm-hmm. of cybersecurity technologies. Uh, also, I guess, another aspect is around usable cybersecurity as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, we want to make, create new technologies that, that can be easily adopted um, yeah. by the community, yeah. not requiring them to be highly yeah. technical in, in nature yeah. to, to set up a physical uh, token as a second factor of organization yeah. or something like that. And and you mentioned transport as the other sector, Chari. I think transport is going to be a huge area that uh, we will need to look at as we see um, 
uh, yes, you know, the transition to electric vehicles, but I guess the transition to autonomous vehicles and self-driving yeah. cars and, you know, the um, uh, the um, impact of cyber incidents or um, uh, can have in that context from not just stealing of personal information, but the physical harm yeah. that uh, can yeah. eventuate, uh, yeah. I think uh, is, is huge as well. And I think as things become more automated, uh, cyber safety yeah. and security um, need to be front and center of yeah. and, and trust in technologies as well. You know? Yeah, become like physical harm can mm. be can be caused. It's not yeah. stealing your credit card. Indeed, um, yeah. It, 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 it. Um, yeah. I want to end with, I think, one of the most important parts is preparing the new generation mm. and new people in the security industry. So what advice you have for students, young professionals joining into the cybersecurity industry or the technology? Um, I think the main advice I would give, I guess, uh, any student uh, is uh, pursue the path that, um, that you think or know, if you can, as <laughs> a strong, yeah. strong term, uh, that will give you satisfaction and that you will enjoy, right? So look at it as a career. Uh, and I think that's important because in cybersecurity, there's different dimensions to cybersecurity, right? So there's a technology yeah. side of things, there's the regulatory side of things, there's the governance, there's compliance side of things, there's the sort of human aspects around cyber as well. So I think uh, obviously, you know, a solid grounding in cybersecurity as a discipline would, would help. But that, but I think when you're thinking of a career, like aspire to the path that will give you the satisfaction that you can have the greatest impact, you know, uh, for a good day's work. Right? Um, yeah. Uh, so, so that would be like, I guess, the basic advice. But um, in, in terms of, I guess, uh, pursuing qualifications, you know, perhaps I'm a little bit biased, but I feel, do feel that uh, going to university, getting a formal qualification um, uh, in the discipline uh, that you're interested in. And now we are quite... Um, diverse in terms of cybersecurity course offerings as well. So it's not all just about cybersecurity technologies. You can do double degrees, even at Deakin, for instance, with cybersecurity and criminology, for instance, that gives you that interesting intersection yeah. between the technology side of things and the sort of criminology or social sciences uh, aspects. We also have, you know, cybersecurity with law, for instance. So if you want to go down that path as well, you know, that that's an uh, avenue as well. So I think think carefully about the formal training that you want to undertake. Right. Yeah. So that would be the first, I guess, um, found that gives you the foundation. Uh, yeah. And then once you have that foundation, you can build a, 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 a palace over it. Right. Exactly. Uh, if you don't have that foundation, then you're going to be, I feel, on very sort of um, shaky ground. And I say shaky ground because then the impact that you can make or the agility that you have to move into new opportunities uh, might be more limited, right? If you had a very, you know, if you just had a very focused uh, skill set. Uh, so yeah. I think have that broad, broad grounding. And then uh, the second advice would be in terms of connecting with practitioners. I don't want to use the word industry because that might be viewed as a technology specific term, but practitioners broadly uh, to and, and understand the different dimensions of cybersecurity. So even yeah. if you have a technology mindset, 
understand the importance of the human aspects understand the importance of the regulatory aspects so that you you have that breadth and you're equipped to have the higher level conversations within your organization uh, itself uh, and that's where i think the importance of networking cannot be understated so even as an undergraduate student you know go to meetups or go to asa conferences or yeah. uh, come to the deacon yeah. conference <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um you know because then you get to expose to thought leaders people who have been there done it and you can have those conversations you make those connections and that who knows can lead on to new things yeah. uh, Process, yeah. and as a classic example you know we had an undergrad student at our deacon cyber conference that um met a, a, a sizeo of a large organization and got invited to come spend some time in their sock you know that right, yeah. that's a very you know yeah a, a single conversation can lead on to significant opportunities right so 100%. i think uh, that that's the advice i would sort of give perhaps you know uh, students and young people who are looking for careers but i think if i sort of flip that around and i say what would i tell people who are looking for talent you know yeah. i think one message that i would probably caution against is please don't tell young people that you don't need to go to university or you don't need a formal yeah. qualification to work yeah. in cybersecurity because i think which which may be true in a sense in the sense of yes you can get a job in cyber without having a university degree if you have the skill sets which is great but i think what it does as a, a as a as a nation if you like is it 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 puts us a little bit behind be- other countries where formal training uh, and deep understanding of the science behind the technology or the legal frameworks yeah um and and doesn't prepare us to really be as the cybersecurity strategy says global leaders pushing the frontiers of the discipline right yeah Right. So I think you know um, different qualifications, training regimes have uh, different roles to play. But I think um, the importance of a university education should not be, I guess, um, uh, underestimated. underestimated or understated. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I still remember a lot of courses from my university mm. in coding, and you know, back to this day, and yeah. they do help. Mm. I think it's. Uh, 100% having a solid foundation is is key to yeah. to the success. Dr. Robin Doss, <laughs> uh, thank you for your time today. I do appreciate your time and taking that off your day to to talk to us. Uh thank you so much and hope as well I can have you in a different podcast where we have more time to discuss more about the work and paperwork that you produced in encryption and insecurity because I was very amazed by the body of work that you have. Thank you. Uh thank you so much for your time. Uh thank you Chari really um enjoyed this conversation and really appreciate the opportunity to uh, have this chat uh, and uh, yeah uh I guess I'll take this opportunity to wish you and your listeners a safe and uh, uh relaxing holiday and Christmas season and uh, look forward to more chats in the future. Thank you Dr. Robin and as well for Crest all the best for the future and I'm sure uh the wonderful work will continue happening as well. Thank you so much. Thanks Chadi. Thanks so much. Rising Cyber.
by Chad Sally B.